All right. Hey, we are in week two of the greatest, and we are certainly glad you're here. We started this session, this series last week. We talked about how Jesus took the complexity of religion, took the complexity of what it meant to be a part of that something bigger, that something bigger of being a follower of Jesus, took all the commands, took all the expectations that are placed on the shoulders of Christ followers, placed on the, fo- the shoulders of people who call themselves Christians, and said, if you want to know, if you want to know at its root, at the foundation of Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus, the expectations of Christians are to love God and to love people. Love God with everything you are and to love people exactly the way you would hope people would love you. Now, over the course of this series, The Greatest, we are taking very complicated things of faith and we are trying to make them very simple because one of the things that Jesus made abundantly clear is that you don't have to be a genius, you don't have to be super talented, you don't have to come from the best background, you don't have to have your entire life put together to be a follower of Jesus. Because the complicated things of faith can be made very, very simple, and yet, they're also very, very challenging. So, as we kick, out, kick off week two of The Greatest, one of the things that went on last week, a couple weeks ago out in Las Vegas, is a convention called CES. CES, it's the Consumer Electronics Show. CES. Hey, thank you for responding. Yeah, did, who's, who is a fan of CES? Does anybody know what it is? We got one person here. Anybody else CES? Yeah, over there. Wonderful. We got a few people that know CES. If you don't know what CES is and you are a nerd like me, then you probably want to know what CES is. Every year, every year, all the companies from all across the world that do tech stuff, gadgets, all those types of things, they come together and they say, here's, here's kind of what's next. Here's the cutting edge of technology. Here's what's out there. Here's all the crazy things that we can do with technology right now. And so Samsung, I know we get iPhone users and we have everyone else, Android people. Do you know that there were multiple folding cell phones that were out at CES this year? And when I say folding, I mean folding screens. Like not, not like a keyboard that folds out or something like that, but the actual screen folds. So you can go from like a half screen to a full screen, something like that. So folding cell phones, folding screens are on the horizon. But the thing that caught my attention... And the product that I was like, man, I just, I just want one of those so bad. Are you showing me some of the folding cell phones? No, no, I'm showing you the Radeon Oh, okay. Is that a new processor? No, graphics card. Awesome. Thank you. I, I didn't know that was out. Yeah. The thing, the thing, wow, here we go. What a good night. So the thing that caught my attention, the thing that t- caught my attention that I hope one day I get to see in person is a bread vending machine, a bread vending machine. And so if you, if you look at the bread vending machine, it's an entire machine that all the ingredients for the bread are there, and every six minutes, it churns out a new loaf of bread. And so when you go to the touchscreen panel and you push it, you can like pick, do you want like the most done bread? Do you want the biggest bread? Do you want the hottest bread? Do you want the freshest bread? Or do you want the oldest bread? And you go and you pick it and whatever, and it, the thing goes and it picks up the bread and out pops a fresh loaf of bread that was baked within the past hour. It's just absolutely incredible. Now, one of the crazy things at CES is that there's technology out there that a lot of people just don't get. It's like, I, I could never see people doing that. You may not be there yet, but you're going to get to a point where new stuff's going to come out and you're going to say, I just don't even get, I don't get how that works. 
Like it's just crazy. I, I never thought it would be possible that this would be possible. So 3D printers come out. So you can actually print products with a printer. How in the world? Like years and years ago, would have never imagined. Like, like I was just happy when I was in middle school if I could print papers in my computer lab and it wouldn't get jammed. And now we're printing computers with, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so we go on and on and on and we just kind of ask this question, how do those things even work? Now, the tough part is in just wondering how things work is some of us react in two different ways. We tend to react in two different ways. We can't figure out how something works. Some of us, like, really dig in and try to figure it out. We're just so compelled, we just want to know how it works. And then others of us say, you know what, can't figure it out, I'm done. Earlier in my life, I used to tutor students in math. So I got out of college, I thought I was going to be an engineer or something like that, so all of my electives in college were like math classes. And so after I got out of college, one of the things I did to help support my family and make money was tutor middle school math students. And you know what the most frustrating thing as a middle school math tutor was? And if you've been guilty of saying this, I'm not mad at you. I just want you to think about it for a second. Okay. So imagine you're a middle school math student and you have somebody helping you. And they're like, hey, okay, what part of this problem do you not understand? And you know what? Three words all of it. Oh my goodness. Oh man. I'm sitting there. It's like, look, I, I'm trying to help you, right? I'm trying to help you. And I, okay, let me, okay. What part do you not understand? All of it. What? You're actually telling me you cannot identify the number seven? Like it's, it's seven. Like you don't understand what seven means? Well, no, I understand that. Okay. Okay. What letter is that? Well, it's X. Yeah. So you're, you're telling me you don't know that that's the letter X? Well, well no, I understand. And so, and maybe, maybe you're guilty of that, maybe you're not. But I think at some point, at some point, we're kind of guilty of that in some areas of life. It's like where it's too complicated. It's like, look, it's so complicated, I'm not even going to bother trying to figure it out. The problem with that is if we opt for that attitude, if we opt for that strategy, guess what happens? We never figure it out. So as we're going through this series, The Greatest, one of the things we're wrestling with is the reality that sometimes figuring out the things of God is going to take us a little bit of effort, a little bit of our mind. And for some of you, I would say that, that you have this idea that you just don't know enough to get started. Because you didn't either grow up in church, and you're in, you're in your life groups, you're in your small groups, you're in home groups or whatever, and people are asking questions and all your friends around you know the answers, like they know when it's time to turn to a certain book of the Bible, like they turn to it and you're like, man, I, <laughs> I didn't even know that was a word. Like Habakkuk, I, I thought that was made up. And your friends are all turning, like, oh, you don't know that passage? It's like, no, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I wasn't raised in church. And, and some of you may be there. And you're like, because I wasn't raised in church because I didn't have that upbringing or because I'm just not intellectual or whatever, I just, you know, I don't want to really dive in. And I just want to tell you, like, whether you're there or whether you grew up in church, wherever you are on that spectrum, I just want to encourage you in this area. You have an opportunity to engage your mind. And so one of the hard things that you're going to have to understand, and, and I've had to learn as well, 
is that this right here can be a really powerful tool and could really kind of destroy your brain as well. Now, I'm not saying get rid of your phone or anything like that. I just, I just want you to know that when it comes to deep issues, sometimes it requires deep thinking, meaning you need some in, uninterrupted thought. And so when you're reading your Bible or you're thinking about things of God, even in times of prayer, when the notifications go off and they keep going off, that can be a problem for you. I just want you to be aware of that. I'm not telling you to get rid of any apps or anything right now. I just want you to know that sometimes the things of the faith require your brain. Sometimes you might push back. Now, others of us, like we're like, I, you know, things of the faith aren't really for me or learning about God's really not for me because all my friends, when they talk about God, they get like really emotional. Like I was the guy at camp and I just distinctly remember every year I'd go to youth camp as a teenager and you get to that last night, cry night, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, and some of you are like, okay, I'm, I'm guilty of saying all of it for math stuff, and I'm also guilty of crying on cry night, okay? And so I did not understand cry night. And I didn't understand it even more when I felt called into ministry. I'm sitting there as I, I just finished junior year of high school, about to go into senior year. I've experienced this call to ministry, and we get to the last night of camp, and everybody's crying. I'm like, wait, is there something wrong with me? Like, am I not a Christian? Do I not love Jesus enough? Like, why is it that when other people think of things of faith, like, they get really worked up emotionally? But for me, like, that's just not me. And I, I just want you to understand, like, for some of you, you've, you've kind of, like, ruled serious faith stuff out because you think you're just not emotional enough. Or you, hey, that's, that's not a problem. You don't have to be emotionally wired to, to be a true Christian. And then finally, I think for some of us, and this may be um, one I just want to be real about, I want to be sensitive to, some of you, you, you're not really interested in things of the faith. You may have friends who are not interested in things of the faith, not because they don't think they're smart enough, not because they don't think they're emotional enough, but, but because of what they've seen Christians do or Christians have done to them. One of the hardest things to overcome is when somebody who calls themselves a Christian treats you in a way that's not like a Christian should treat you. Now for some of you in this room, you have parents who call themselves Christians and they just don't set the example. They don't, they don't set the example that a Christian parent should set. Now, praise God, others of you in this room have phenomenal parents. But I, I just want you to know that for, for some of us in this room, some of our friends, we are overcoming people that should know better, should do better, but just haven't done better for us. So as we go today, uh, one of the things we have to understand is that the idea of trying to know who God is, diving in to try to understand the complexities of God is nothing new. If you, if you go back to the Old Testament, one of the things that you see with the creation of the nation of Israel, is that God did not leave his people alone to wonder what he was like. So he starts off and he sends these prophets. And they come at different periods of time and they actually tell the people and they tell the leadership the will of God. But time after time after time, as the prophets are speaking, they kind of reject, the people reject what the prophets are saying. And it doesn't stop there. God instills priests. He, put, he puts priests in place to be 
intermediaries between the people and himself. So that when there's, when there's times for repentance, when there's times for praise, when there's times for rejoicing, there's priests there that kind of set the tone. They even put kings in place, leaders, divinely ordained by God to be in place to be godly leaders in the midst of Israel. And time after time after time, the people were still left questioning, left wondering what it was like. Because these people were imperfect. These people can never fully reveal God to mankind. So as we're, as we're getting ready tonight, if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, turn it to John 14. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back of the room. I would encourage you to grab one of those if you want to. But, but in addition to that, the YouVersion Bible app, we have events every Wednesday night on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you go to the events part, you can find what we're tracking through tonight. Now, we're about to read some of the words of Jesus' conversation he had, but one of the things we have to know is that when Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke, it was 100% brilliant. Every time. It was just so incredible the way Jesus spoke. We also have to understand that even though he was 100% brilliant, people didn't always get it. When I was at Howard Payne, I went in as a double major in youth ministry and math. Youth ministry and math. I thought I wanted to be a civil engineer or an actuary, and then I was going to be like this part-time volunteer youth minister. God had other plans for me than that. But that meant that when I went into Howard Payne, like I, I started off taking all math classes. And so I'm sitting there, fall semester, Cal 1, and the professor comes in, introduces himself to us. He says, hey, I'm here. I want you to know, brand new professor. I just retired from NASA. Oh, wow. He's like, yeah, one of my primary objectives was to calculate telemetries as far as re-entry for the space shuttle program. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty cool deal. What are you doing in Brownwood, Texas? Brownwood, like, why are, why are you at Howard Payne? This is crazy. And so he answers the question. I, I just, I got to a point in my career where I had invested enough time in the professional world, and I just want to pour into Christian students who want to be great at math. That's very, very admirable. The problem was, he didn't understand he wasn't at NASA anymore. And so he starts off the very first day of class. He says, I'm going to show you this problem. And he starts drawing this problem up on the whiteboard. About 10 minutes pass by, and he's still drawing the problem, and he moves over to the second whiteboard, and he's still drawing the problem. And then another 10, 15 minutes go by, and this guy hasn't said a word past his introduction. And we're sitting there, it's like, man, we're, we've been in class for 35 minutes. This professor said hello, told us his name, said he's glad to be here, and he's been working for 25 minutes straight. Moves on to the third board. Spends another 10 minutes on the third board. And so at this point, we have five minutes less of, left of class. He stops. And I'm sitting there looking at the board. Like I went through you know, AP calculus and all that kind of stuff in high school. And I'm looking at the board. And I recognize about 40% of the things up there. When I say things, like I mean like you know, when you ask the question, what do you not understand all of it? What do you not understand? Most of it. Like, I've never seen that symbol before. Like, I don't even know what that letter means. It's not English. I don't get it. Those numbers, those aren't real. They can't be real numbers. I've never seen that before. And so he goes, and he's done this entire three-board problem. And he says, this is one of the things that you'll have to understand as you're calculating telemetry. I'm like, what? Who can? This is Cal 1. Like, like this is the very first calculus class you're going to take in college, and he's saying telemetry and all that kind of stuff, and then he does something that I will never, ever, ever, ever forget. He goes up to the second board. 
he goes down about three of the lines and he draws this rectangle around one tiny part of the problem. He says, this is the part that y'all are learning right now. And I'm like, I recognize that. And and what he put on that board was 100% brilliant. 100%. And I understood a fraction of it. And I think a lot of times that's where we're at with Jesus. Like it's 100% brilliant, but we're left saying, I just understand a fraction of it. And so as we're jumping into John 14 right now, one of the things that we're going to read is not the confusion of the masses, but the confusion of the people that were closest to Jesus. So what had happened so far is that Jesus and his disciples are up in the upper room, and Jesus had actually bent down and washed his disciples' feet. He took it a step further and said, one of you in this room is going to betray me tonight. And then his disciples say, not me, not me, not me. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, yeah. <laughs> you, you think you're going to die for me tonight? You're not going to die for me. You're not going to go to, to, you're not going to do that. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. And he takes it a step further and says, and you know what, where I'm going right now, you can't even go with me. And so you have this, this group of people that have followed Jesus for three years who have been with him every step of the way. And now he's saying, at the end of it all, not only am I going to go somewhere you can never go, it's going to be because one of you betrays me. This is the utmost of confusion. See so here what Jesus says, though. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So as devout Jews, these guys, they have been committed to believing in God since birth. Their upbringing would have been centered on a belief in God. Now, this is not like a cognitive belief that God exists. This is much bigger than, this is, this is much stronger than a belief in the existence of God. This is a belief that God is the creator and sustainer of all things, the foundation of the world itself, that God spoke creation into existence. They, they believe that God is the end-all, be-all of life as we know it. And so when Jesus looks at them, he says, believe in God. He means trust God with everything, but also trust me in that exact same way that you believe God's the creator and sustainer and can make all things happen. Believe in me that exact same way. Verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. So Jesus tells his disciples that he's going out in front of them to get the house ready for them to follow. Now here's, I just, gosh, when I talk through this passage, it's hard because I know in this room, like there are people here whose life right now is just great. And so, and so when messages about, about Jesus bring stability to chaos come to people who are experiencing no chaos, it's like, Right over their head. But the way, the way I feel right now is for people in this room who are sitting there saying, my world's falling apart. My friends may not know it. My family may not know it. But if I had to put myself on a spectrum right now of if like, things are great or things are terrible, like I'm hanging out right here. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't want to go to school tomorrow. I don't want to go home right now. I don't want to deal with whatever that thing is. And so Jesus 
looks at his disciples and says, listen, I'm leaving you. You are going to be left on your own for a while, but you need to understand I'm coming back. And the reason I'm leaving is because I have to make ready a place for you. But I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I will be back for you. Verse 4. And you know, you know the way to where I'm going. Even though things have been confusing, even though you think it's chaotic, even though you think that life cannot be settled, you know. You may not know you know, but I'm telling you, you know. Verse 5. I love this. I love this. I love this part. This is where I hope some of us get someday is just the blatant honesty when it comes to talking to Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Okay, like you say, you say we know, but let me just speak for the group. We don't know. How, if we don't know, how can we know the way? How in the world is it possible to know the way if we don't know the destination? And so Jesus responds, he says, look, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And so Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So you have Philip, and this is, this is something you have to understand. In times of chaos, in times of turmoil, in times of doubt, what most of us look for is a sign of hope. Like we just, we just look out there and we say, look, Lord, if, if this would happen, I would trust that things would be okay. There have been times like where I've been looking for a job or looking for a change in my life and I've just had these mental conversations say, Lord, if that place calls me back today, I will take it as a sign that you want me to do that. Or Lord, if, if this happens, then I can just trust that you are here with me. I think for some of us in, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of confusion, we're looking for that one thing, that one glimmer of hope. And so Philip, in the midst of all this, he says, look, Jesus, I have something really big to ask you. Just, just show us God. Like, simple request, right? Simple request, just show us God. And if you show us God, then we'll be okay. Now, I'm going to go back to kind of the Old Testament. There's this point in the Old Testament when you're reading the book of Exodus that Moses, the guy who brought the Ten Commandments down to the Israelites, Moses kind of asks to see God. And God says to Moses, Moses, you can't handle seeing me. But here's what I'll do. Go up on a mountain. And I'll walk by. I'm not going to let you see me. But you know like when somebody walks through a room or whatever, like you can feel a little bit of a breeze coming off of them, right? If they walk fast enough, they walk by, you just feel a little bit. If you're walking by a music stand with paper on it, you walk by, sometimes the music will fall off. Like there's a little bit of a, a wake that's created by people walking through. 
And so Moses is up on the mountainside, and God kind of passes through the area, and the little bit of wake kind of goes and touches Moses. And what happens is, because he was in the presence of God just for that, never saw God, never got to see God face to face, anything like that, just experienced the wake of God passing by, Moses comes off the mountainside, and his face is glowing. And it's glowing so much, they have to say, Moses, hey, um, I know we don't have mirrors, because like they haven't been invented yet or whatever, but you need to know that your face is glowing. And it's, like, it's not like glowing like, oh, hey, you're glowing, you look really nice. It's like, no, it's scary, okay? Like, it's so scary that they end up taking a bag and placing it over Moses' head so that the entire nation of Israel doesn't panic. That's the experience. And so you fast forward to Jesus and Philip, and Philip says, hey, Jesus, just show us God, and we'll be okay. Just show us God. That's a huge, huge, huge request. And Jesus looks at Philip, and instead of getting on to him, instead of chastising him, instead of like ripping into him because he just didn't get it, he said, Philip, you don't even see God. You've seen me. And if you don't realize that Jesus, if you don't realize that, that me is Jesus is God, then, then I want you to think about what else you've seen. He says, believe in me because of the works that I've done. And so the disciples, they look back at the miracles of Jesus and they, they have to think through that it was Jesus who took loaves of bread and multiplied them to feed thousands of people. They had to think about that Jesus actually walked around on a daily basis and when there were sick people, he said, hey, are you sick? You want to get well? Great, get well. He picked up people off the ground who could not walk and he made them walk and he even went to the grave of his best friend and said, Lazarus, come out. And after being dead for days, his friend comes back to life. And the disciples had to have thought, oh, this is, this is different. And so we keep going. And this is one of the things that we just have to come to terms with, that the disciples had to come to terms with, that we need to come to terms with, that if we want to know God, and in the midst of instability in life, in the midst of chaos, there is something deep within, within us that wants to know God. When the world is crazy, we want to know the creator of the world. When chaos is upon us, we want to know the one who's in control of all things. If we want to know God, we have to get to know Jesus. And so if you're in here tonight and you're saying, hey, I, I just, I have never established a relationship with Jesus. I'm not a Christian. I don't know what it means to be somebody who follows God. I just want to encourage you with this. Your next step is considering how you want to get to know Jesus. Now, um, here's, here's one of the things as we go through this. I, I just, I want you to stop for a minute because there's three things I just want to challenge all of us in this room to do. If we, if we take this next step of faith saying, I believe that the foundation of how I know God is a relationship with Jesus. I believe that if I want to know God, I have to know Jesus. Then, then the next thing I want you to really do are these three things. The first thing is think. And it sounds pretty basic. But I think it's something that's a little bit absent from some of the ways we follow Christ. I, I want you to think about a variety of things. I want you to challenge yourself to test the things of faith with your brain. Please do not just say, well, you know, Michael said, or the Bible said, or my parents said, and just kind of check your brain at the door when it comes to issues of faith. If there's doubt, if there's confusion when it comes to issues of faith, 
engage your brain in the thought process to try to work through it. And if you need people to help walk you through some of the mental complexities that it is to follow Jesus, I want to I challenge you to seek, seek out some advice, seek out some counsel. Because if you don't engage your brain, if you don't think, then when issues of faith get too big, you've not engaged part of who you are. And you might find yourself wandering away. Now the next thing, the next thing I want to encourage some of us, if you're not already doing this, is to move. So we've talked about thinking. I I want to encourage you to move. And what I really mean by that is get to action. If you want to know Jesus, do the things Jesus did. Go go home. Fill up your bathtub. Walk on water. I'm kidding. That's not... No, no. I mean, if it's shallow enough, right? Or if it's ice, yeah, no, no, no. No, I'm not encouraging you to try that. Or, hey, seriously, if you want to start like a viral challenge, um, the walk on water challenge, just go over to pools and you'll start it and you'll be a viral sensation. It'll be wonderful. That's why we have YouTube. Okay, okay, so, no. Do you know that when you have friends, you have family, and you're dating or whatever it is, if you really want to get to know somebody, you do the things they like to do. It's a pretty common thing. Like the way you get close to people is you do the things they like to do. So I, I don't love country music. Oh, I, it's quite the opposite. And one of the things I've had to learn and I'm still trying to learn is how to listen to country music with my wife because she loves country music. And I'm, I'm telling you, she does not love to cook but I love to eat. And so one of the things she's learning is that she should probably cook with me. And so I, I, I just think, I, I just think like it's intuitive. We get this. We know this, that if we want to be close to somebody, we do the things they do. And for some of us as Christians, as some of us as believers, our next step is not to keep thinking about the things of Christ, but it's to put our body into action. And so when Jesus says love, Love one another, serve one another, take care of the needs of others. Like we need to get up out of this place tonight and we need to say, how can I tangibly, physically, financially help someone else? And we need to move and enact our faith. And then finally, I want to encourage you with this. Abide. Abide is not a word that we use normally, but abide means to rest with, to sit with, to be with. When I was a... 6th grader, 7th grader, 8th grader, and ninth grader. 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. Every fall, one of my grandparents died. Every fall. It's like back to school, back to the hospital, back to the funeral home. That was the rhythm for middle school and freshman year of high school. And I have these distinct memories of that time period of my life. And I, man, I loved, I loved my grandparents absolutely loved them. And I just remember as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old losing my grandparents. But I also remember that in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of that pain, that I had other family members that we would sit in the hospital waiting rooms, we would sit in the funeral home, we would sit waiting for the funeral service, we would sit at grandparents' house after that person passed, and we'd sit. We wouldn't talk. We wouldn't laugh, but we would sit together 
And in the sitting together, we were comforted. Simply sitting with, being with, somebody that you love and loves you brings a calmness to life. So for some of us, we need to experience what it's like to actually abide in Christ. To spend time sitting in the presence of Jesus every single day. Because I bet for some of us, including myself, that life feels a little bit crazy. And one of the reasons is we're not finding the comfort and the rest that comes from simply being in the presence of Jesus on a daily basis. Now, one of the things that we have in this student ministry that I want to point out to help you kind of take that next step of abiding with Christ, of spending time with Jesus, we, we put out these devotionals every, every single month. This is the January devotional. Now, these are available in print. They're also available digitally. And so tonight on the Remind app, I will send out the Remind link for the digital version of January. But if you want a hard copy, they're on that back table right there. And so if you want to take that next step of abiding with Christ, I would encourage you in that area of spending time in God's Word. So Rabbi, I, I just want you to know that like, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, God will always be somewhat of a mystery. Like We have to like own that and know that God, because He's so infinite, He's so big, He's so other than, there will always be a part of us that just does not understand everything about God. And I think that, that's okay. We need to own that and take our next steps in what it means to follow Jesus. And so for those of you tonight who need to think a little bit more, let me encourage you to think a little bit more. For those of you who need to move and get into action, do that. And then for some of those that just need to find some rest, abiding in the presence, I want to encourage you to do that. As we close out this series, I, if you can take away anything, if you're in this room, I, I want you to have a heart, a desire, to be with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son to reveal who you are to us. In looking at Jesus, we know who you are. We know you're a healer. We know you're a provider. We know you bring dead back to life. And Father, we rejoice because you loved us enough to send us your son. I pray that we would be worthy, even though I never will, no, I know we'll never earn it. I pray that we'll be worthy of the love you've shown us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us go out from where we are to love our families well, to love our friends at school well, to love those that we would even call our enemies well in your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.